Shopamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Bundle of Fun. <laughs> With me is Chris, uh, compressed and optimized choir. Hey, Chris, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Um, we have a great guest on. I didn't even, you know, I've I, I've I've never met Blaine before. We have Blaine Bublitz here. Did I say your name right? Hey, Blaine. You did, you? yeah. Hey, how's it going? Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. You got it. You got it uh, on the first shot, which is impressive. Thank you, thank you. It's an experience as a radio show host, which is a lie because it helps me none, and I'm terrible at names. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm kind of a fan of one of the projects that you work on heavily, which is Gulp. This is going to be a show about Gulp, everyone, at least partially. But of course, Blaine works on different things and is interested in lots of things. So we'll get into that too, but no avoiding it. Uh, even your Twitter bio says gulp JS lead. So that's you, man. Gulp. That's, yeah. 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 That's me. Um, I, I kind of uh, decided to claim the lead title um, a few years ago because uh, I, I was not the mutiny and insurgency. I love, I love it. Exactly. Exactly. I, 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 I was not the creator. I, uh, a, a, a guy named Contra created it, um, uh, in Arizona where I live and I got involved early on, but I was never like the lead maintainer or anything like that. I just helped out. Um, uh, but for the gulp four release, um, I was kind of the, uh, visionary and the main developer behind that. So I just, I decided to claim that lead dev, uh, title yeah um, great um okay so 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 just you know let's do the the due diligence a little bit um gulp isn't your uh, your job job or is it it's not it's um it's mostly a hobby right now for um before my current job i actually was trying to make it into a job um i was trying to do different funding avenues and uh figuring out a way to um, not only make it sustainable, but also help me get by. Um, I About a year ago, I joined a company called Tidelift, which is working on getting money into the open source ecosystem. So um, it, it helped that I had a lot of experience in, in that space. Well, that's nice. So I'd, I'd almost call you a developer developer in a way. You're one of those developers who builds tools for other developers and even works at a job where the point of that company is to do things for other developers, you know? So I'm sure you've, you know, built ah. client-facing sites in your lifetime plenty too, but but it's interesting now that you're so focused on developer experience things. Right. I, I never heard it described that way, but yeah, I definitely feel you there. I, um, I like building things to make developers more productive and, and just like developer experience and things like that. So it's something that I've been really passionate about for a long time. So you're at Tidelift, uh, Gulp JS lead, and uh, let's leave it at that for a minute. So let me just, can I, this is like for an outsider perspective of Gulp, because I think it's one of the most like interestingly placed tech things uh, in a weird way, I, uh, that was a terrible intro. But but here's how I see it. You know, there was there was you know there was nothing, and then there was there was like grunt. Grunt was first, and grunt was like, you should have tasks. I'll watch your files and I'll run tasks, and that was like 
an awakening experience for the dev community. And this is like a bunch of years ago, you know? Uh, and that's great. And then Gulp came along, I what feels like to me after, I have no idea when their foundation dates is, but it seems like Gulp was like a new player and somehow kind of like took the lead. I don't know how many years it took, but it, it, it feels like Gulp at some point got cooler than Grunt. People liked the Gulp approach better. And perhaps because in Gulp, you were just like writing node. You weren't making a configuration file. And when you were like, just writing node, it opened up more possibility. Like if you needed an escape hatch to do something else, it was right there. Or it just like felt more natural developer ergonomically or something. And then Gulp trucks on. Eventually Gulp 4 comes out, but it, it seems like there was a like a lot of time between 3 and 4 perhaps. And that Gulp had like API changes and stuff that were weird to people. It feels like kind of that Angular 1-2 release kind of like, whoa, this is way different kind of vibe. But I get it. There's cool stuff. So maybe we'll jump. Maybe we'll upgrade. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But then the, even that feels like that was a number of years ago, you know, Gulp 4 number of years ago. It feels like people don't, you're not like seeing lots of tutorials about Gulp anymore. For some reason, it, it, it too, like grunt before it feels a little like old or something and that if you like today you're like i need to do some stuff with my f- project files you're like uh, okay well the, the the modern ones that there's a million tutorials a minute written about is like webpack and parcel and rollupify or whatever all these ones are but those they feel like they're in a different category because they're all about bundling and grump was grunt or <laughs> both grunt and gulp but gulp is what we're talking about just like did stuff it wasn't naturally a bundler like to compare webpack directly to gulp isn't fair they don't really feel like the same thing so you're like okay so i need a tool that like i don't want webpack right now let's say for this project i just need something else like is it still gulp i feel like there's a lot of developers in that like they say it like that with like a shrug at the end. They're like, is it, is Gulp still the thing that we use? That was going to be my question, uh, Blaine. Is Gulp dead? <laughs> is, <laughs> what, what do we mean? Catch us up. Yeah, uh, catch us up. Did I characterize that correctly or do you have a different view of how that went down? <laughs> uh, no, you, I think you, I think you uh, kind of characterized it very correctly. I could, I, I just saw, uh, a Twitter thread the other day that was basically like asking that question, like, is golf still the thing? Yeah. Um, it's, I think that gulp, um, I, and again, I, I have been putting a lot of work into it and, but I didn't come up with a lot of the stuff early on. A lot of the, a lot of the branding, a lot of the, um, way that we talk about ourselves, um, and things like this. So like, we were always the streaming build system. Um, but I've never really viewed Gulp as like, like only that we are, we are like the low level plumbing to the stuff that you need to get done. Right. Um, so, um, we actually just did kind of it, not, I don't want to say it was a rebranding, but we, we did a whole new up, uh, website update. And with that, we also rewrote our content um for our homepage and we had to really think about like do we want to keep saying the streaming build system we kind of fell back to this idea that we are a toolkit um to enhance and automate workflows 
whatever that means really, right? Like you can use pieces of Gulp without using other pieces of Gulp. You can use the task system without having to use the, the streaming system, like the file operations. You can use the file operations without using the task system. Though I don't know why, why <laughs> you would want to do that necessarily, but you, you could. Um, and, uh, the, the Gulp for release was really about bringing us to that point, right? It was about bringing us to like good core features, good core, like things that you can build upon, right? We, we, we very, uh, we, we kind of, um, hardened our streaming implementation. Um, there's some really cool stuff that we did with our streaming implementation that you wouldn't see in most node streaming libraries. Um, the task system takes into account like all of the way that all of the ways that uh, JavaScript and node developers develop. So like it has async await support. Um, it has um, callbacks, promises. Um, we even do event emitters. So like we have full support there. Um, you, you mentioned something you, that I think is very interesting and I've thought a lot about is the, uh, the tutorials. We haven't had a lot of tutorials come out, but I feel like any tech that's sufficiently old doesn't get tutorials because like they're just a mainstay, right? Like you can grab Gulp and if you know Node, you can write Gulp code. Um, you can write your Gulp file. Um, and along with that, we've also spent a bunch of time getting non-node developers up to speed um, through the Gulp documentation. So we we have a whole new getting started guide that was released with um, either with or right after 4.0 was released. Um, and That makes sense. I bet there's a lot of developers out there. Like I probably know Node a little better because of Gulp. You know, like sometimes it, it's an entry point for some devs. Like I need to do this and I understand that it's written in Node. So I guess I'm writing Node. Some of that confuses me. Like, did you have to write your own promises implementation? I, I would think, well, Node has promises, so Gulp has promises. Like, I don't, I don't, like, you know what I mean? Like, why, what, what's the connective tissue there? Does it need it? Right. Yeah. So it, it, we didn't write our own promise implementation. Um, you can use whatever is available in the runtime. But the thing that's um, hard to kind of deal with is the, um, Gulp supports all these different types of asynchronicity, right? So promises, callbacks, streams, et cetera. Um, and our task system needs to actually have that embedded at its core. So essentially, if you return a promise from a, a Gulp task, we need to know how to wait for that promise to be completed to move mm-hmm. on. Um, same with streams, same with basically anything that we support. We need to know how to wait for that stuff to be done. Um, That's a big deal to me as a user because I wouldn't, I definitely need to be able to tell Gulp these, these two tasks can run in parallel maybe. But for the most part, when I write Gulp files, they're, they're pretty not, they're not async. They're in, they're like, do this, then do this, then do this. Because some of it might be like that first task writes something to the file system and the next task might look at the file system again. Maybe that's a bad example because maybe you're not supposed to do that with streams. You're probably supposed to just like pass it along or whatever. <laughs> but but it feels like that's just an example. Sometimes you really like just need the task before it to like be done done before you do the next task. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, 
there's some there's some really cool stuff that you can do with the new test system in in Gulp Four. Um, I usually don't recommend them just because like they're very advanced and we get a lot of like support requests for them in our issue tracker if we recommend that people do the advanced stuff. Um, so we we try not to do that, but um, Gulp's task system is is all um, uh, curried. It's like partially applied, so you can like build up your um, workflow, uh, your task workflow, and then you can call that function at a different time. So you could you could actually um, like pass data along theoretically, um, but these are these are very advanced techniques that I usually don't document or recommend. Um, it's just that if you understand like the fundamentals of how uh, Gulp works, then you can really get yourself in some deep weeds. And that's kind of the whole plumbing aspect, right? Like people could build libraries on top of Gulp or, or things on top of Gulp and they can abstract those, those complexities away from their users. Okay. Okay. This episode of Shop Talk Show is also brought to you by X-Team. That's x-team.com slash shop talk show. X-Team allows you to work from anywhere for the world's leading brands and get supported to do more of what you love as a developer. Maybe you haven't heard of X-Team before, but X-Team is a 100% remote company that helps companies scale their development teams by providing them with extraordinary teams of developers from around the world. They believe in living a life of freedom that allows developers, that's you, to spend more time getting energized by your passions. They fostered a unique, active lifestyle and culture around this idea that continues to attract thousands of developers to apply every day. X-Team is the most energizing community for developers in the world. What separates X-Team from their competition is the level of attention and care they give to their developers. They proactively support them, fund their learning and growth, and connect them in roaming hacker houses around the world, and then give them a remote environment that motivates and inspires them on a daily basis. Where other companies simply place and drop their talent, they foster and cater to their unified team of developers centered around the same beliefs, values, and lifestyle. So check out X-Team if you'd like the chance to work with big brands like Riot Games, Fox Broadcasting, Kaplan Incorporated. Coinbase, Beachbody, and more. You get to live and work in one of their roaming hacker houses, X-Oposts they call them, around the world. It changes locations monthly, allowing you to explore and work remotely in the most beautiful locations. You'll get to take part in adventures, share passions, and learn how to be a better remote developer. You'll get to take part in one of the most energizing community for developers in the world by participating in their seasons, a three-month experience filled with challenges, rewards, games, competitions, and more, all centered around a theme that will inspire and energize you. And you'll get $2,500 per year to spend on doing more of what you love and staying energized. Use it on conferences, courses, video games, photography equipment, and more. So if you're a developer who's looking for a chance to try out remote work, visit x-team.com slash shoptalkshow and find out more. Our thanks to X-Team for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. Let's see. So, 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 people out there, we do, we, you know, we're a bunch of minutes into this, and we didn't even really define what Gulp is, but I think they get the point. It's like a, it's a tool. It's written in Node. You use it in Node, and it runs tasks for you. I guess that's, you know, that's probably I would think ninety plus percent of why you would use Gulp, if not a hundred percent. You know, like it's a task runner. You define some tasks, and it runs some tasks. What are tasks, and why would you do? What do you see as like? the top tasks like what is a task and what's the main one that people reach gulp for 
Right. Oh, that's an interesting question. So I've, um, we've tried to break down these barriers on our terminology and on node terminology. We keep using things like task and workflow and stuff to kind of conceptualize, like, or, or to bundle these ideas into words that we can talk about. Um, but a task is, is just a function. Um, but what Gulp allows you to do is it allows you to kind of bind um, those functions to command to your command line in a really easy way. Um, and on top of that, we also were talking about like um, running. I think you said you want to run this task, then this task, then this task. Um, and so Gulp also allows you to compose functions in a very I mean, I, I, I wrote it, so I'm very, in a very elegant way. Um, the, I, so you can, uh, we expose your tasks to the command line and we, uh, provide two methods, series and parallel, so that you can kind of combine all of these tasks or functions in, in any way you want. Um, and I think one thing that sets tasks apart from any function in Node is that they have to all be asynchronous. So we were talking about how we support promises. Um, if you have a function that returns a promise, you can assume that that function is asynchronous because you don't know when the body will finish executing. This, I think Gulp was one of my biggest... I, I mean, I think I'd done async programming before, but just getting used to that idea that, oh, this like like compiling my CSS, that can happen, that can finish whenever. Like, and maybe before I even like compiled the site or something like that, like it was, I don't know. But the API too is like source, grab these CSS files or SAS files, then dot pipe it to some other function like prefixer and then dot pipe that to the destination or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it just was very cool, but it was also took some like kind of, I, I guess, brainstorming, uh, around like, okay, when would this finish up? Oh, it could finish up whenever. Okay. Okay. I have to like kind of rethink how I'm, you know, like how, how my life works or, or like what, like, I guess like which series of tasks, like how do I serialize some tasks, but then how do I like also just like, don't care. Like, can I run two things at once? I thought that it was very, I guess, challenging to me in the early days, but uh, it made me very used to I don't know, just programming in Node or, or kind of being a more asynchronous sort of person. <laughs> You're an asynchronous person. I'm an asynchronous person. I really don't care when it gets so done. So you did the SAS, you broke the SAS <laughs> barrier. I think that to me, that seems like a big one in the world that I live in is that I have a project. I want to write SAS on it. Let's say SAS is still super popular. I use it on several big sites. Like it, I don't think SAS is going away anytime soon. People, the people, they like it. Um, so you uh, you need to run SAS. Now, if you look at the SAS docs, it'll be like, well, we have, uh, you know, Dart SAS is written in a way that you can use it via Node 2, you know, and and you, and here's our little API. For, you know, you hit it with these files and it returns it. Nobody's going to use SAS like that. I'm sure very few people run the SAS CLI stuff super directly. Just use their API directly. I mean, maybe you'd write like a NPM script to do it, but then you're like editing your package.json when you add a new SAS file to watch. And it just uh, it feels like having some kind of abstraction 
level that's like, this is the file that has the configuration of how we process our SaaS at this company, especially because it's not just SaaS, as Dave said. It's probably like, I'm going to run SaaS, then I'm going to run auto prefixer and maybe other post CSS stuff if I want to. Then I'm going to minify it. That's three things in a row. So I need to like be in all of these things are asynchronous, like we just talked about, like how long does SaaS take to take to process? I don't know, as long as it does. It might be 10 milliseconds or it might be a minute. It's just who knows. Same thing with all these steps. So I have to write some code that says, do this, run SAS, do this, run auto prefixer, do this, minify it. And then when you're done, go put it in this folder over here because in this, in this house, we put our CSS in a CSS folder. You need something to do that. And there's precious few options out there in the world to do it. I feel like at these days it's like there's one. It's gulp, you know. <laughs> okay. No, I, I feel. I mean, uh, I <laughs> tangent. Uh, actually, I love SaaS. Um, we use it for our website, and I love that you can embed your media queries inside of each selector. I just think that that is amazing. Like, if that were all that SaaS did, I'm fine with it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah, nesting and especially nesting media queries. Right. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. To, to think that it like unwraps it backwards, right? It's just it really interesting to me. I would say like I am fine with people using command line tools. I'm fine with people using NPM scripts. I don't think that Gulp necessarily competes. Like, like you said, Gulp doesn't compete with Webpack. It doesn't, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't really compete with command line, running things at a command line, right? Like it, we have a command line tool. It's not like, uh, it, it's not our direct competition, but things that we do well are um, like, I feel like almost no command line that you run has like globbing. Like uh, if you do star star slash, or like you do S your SCSS directory slash star star, like every CLI tool is going to deal with that differently. And maybe there that gets me all the time. And it frustrates the hell out of me. <laughs> And it's probably because I learned Gulp first, and it was well. Like, that's a big deal oh, just for SAS because you're like, please watch all my SAS files, please. But we're, we've only talked about SAS so far. Gulp isn't just for SAS. Uh, we all, we'll also have a set of tasks for our JavaScript, and I also have a set of tasks for our SVG files, and I even have a set of tasks for HTML files or PHP files or a project that I'm working because I there's things in there I want to update. So it's like big groups of tasks. Yeah, I mean it can do everything, right? Like you can you can find plugins for pretty much anything you can think of. Um, that was something that I think we did really well is that we didn't try to silo off the plugin community. Um, I would say that that has led to varying qualities of plugins. And we are actually thinking about maybe reining some of it in and taking on the maintenance of some plugins just because we've seen them. People get bored. Like it's open source. People get bored. Um, people move on to other languages or get a job or like they got to get paid somehow. Um, so we've been considering like as a, as a more, a larger team now, um, maybe starting a, we actually already started it, but it's not really popular yet. But it's called Gulp Community, um, where we can adopt and and help find maintainers for plugins. Um, and I think, yeah, like you said, you can find plugins for all of this stuff that you're doing. And if there's not one, you can actually just inline the code that you need, right? You don't need the SaaS plugin. It's nice, 
But if you just need to compile SAS, you can install the node SAS library and call that as part of your task. It's not right. right. See, that's what I, I, I will, <laughs> this is what I like about gold versus other, um, uh, competing products. We'll call them. Um, cause I know, I know how to like, I could select all the markdown files in my blog and then I could figure out a way to like translate it. I like send it to like Google Translate or something. I don't know some API that translates it into Spanish, and then I can write out a file file with the same file name that's dot Spanish dot Markdown or something like that. And I know how to do that. I could write that in Gulp, but like you know. But then it's like, okay, Dave, use Grunt or use Webpack or you know. It's like, oh man, I sure hope Webpack has. Webpack transform English Spanish markdown, you know, like I, I like I don't know like my skills, I guess, to like like my my file manipulation skills feel like they don't transfer to the other systems. And this is what I really like about like gulp is it feels like programming to me. It feels like, oh, I just write little almost like I and I've been thinking about this a lot because I knew you were coming on the show. Uh it's almost like uh Apple's uh, uh, automator that, that they have that no one uses, or maybe that's even dead now, but, um, but it's, it's like Apple's automator you can, or shortcuts that's on iOS. It's like you give it an input and then you tell, you kind of construct the way to output and that's it. That's it. It'll suck things in and spit things out. And that's what it does a hundred million times a second. It it loves it. (laughs) That's what I love about Gulp. And as somebody who writes cloud functions, I do. That's, you know, just something I've been doing lately. It relates to my job and stuff that are also in Node. It Then it makes this kind of like return to Gulp feel even more comfortable because I'm like, I'm just working in Node anyway. Gulp is Node. If it seems like, like that was a kind of a good choice is to just kind of like stay in regular ass Node land. <laughs> but speaking of like <laughs> unmaintained plugins... Because uh, that happens, and I know you think about. <laughs> Speaking of, Dave, you have no experience. I, 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 know, with this. I know. Well, I got a bug report. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, that's it, we just know that that happens. If there's ten thousand gulp plugins in the world, I'm sure nine thousand of them are abandoned. You know, it's just the way it is, and maybe they're fine abandoned because it just doesn't matter, or it's they do something that doesn't matter anymore, or something. But like gulp itself matters, and look, look how many gulp leads there are. Like it's just you, right, Blaine? Like if you weren't born, or there was no Blaine, or something, maybe gulp four never happened, and maybe gulp itself was one of those abandoned projects. It was isn't there a risk even there? There's definitely risk, um, and this is something that I've thought a, a lot about actually, like. One of the big pushes on Gulp 4 and the thing, I mean, I, I will take a lot of the blame for, for Gulp 4 taking so long to come out because I, you know, I, I am to an extent a perfectionist and I, it, it was my, my beautiful little, uh, painting that I wanted to be perfect. Um, and eventually I just had to release it <laughs> with, uh, I mean, I think we only had like one major bug in the first, uh, like month that was out and we got that fixed almost immediately. So it was really cool to, to have it released and be so solid. But um, one of the big holdups other than me was that I was, I really wanted to build out a team. I, I don't think that I, that I know enough about file systems or enough about command lines or enough about 
any individual piece of the project, even though I have all of that in my head about Gulp, I wanted to build out smaller teams with multiple maintainers that can help in those areas, right? So we have grown the team from basically like two or three people to, I think we're up to 13 now. Um, and we're continuing to try to grow the team um, for people that have more specialized areas, whether that be, it, it could even be triage, right? We have a triage team as part of the Gulp uh, core team now. Interesting. Wow. It sounds like you like it, you know, like you wouldn't be doing this if you, there wasn't some kind of like some part of you that just like enjoyed this. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's for the money, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's not. It's um, it's rewarding. It's also frustrating at times, right? Like people um, non-ironically saying that it's dead or why would you use it or things like this. Um, or angry people in issues, especially doing like the, the Ford auto upgrade. Um, it can be, it can be frustrating, but it, it is also very rewarding. Like to see that it's like, I mean, just to hear you say, like, there's not really anything out there that you would grab. There's not another tool that has kind of replaced it. Um, there's a lot of tools that are alternatives, especially if you have very specific workflows. Um, but there's nothing that straight up has been like, Oh, we have completely replaced it with better ideas because I think the ideas that it was founded on are very solid and, and, and it has made me learn a ton about node, a ton about programming. I've been working on Gulp since like helping out since 2013. Um, and it's like almost seven years now in July, it'll be seven years. Um, and I have only been doing software development for 10 years. So <laughs> how does that work, right? Yeah, yeah, I get I hear people like that from like the WordPress community and stuff too that are like this was my this was my come up project and I've just been at it for a long time and it basically is me as a developer. I see on the Gulp.js website which is brand new by the way. Congratulations. You got there's some clear momentum there. Nothing like a fresh coat of paint, right? Yeah, thanks. Uh, we put a bunch of effort in. I uh, I was in I was visiting a friend in Bulgaria uh, in February, and um, she wanted to transition from more dev centric to more um, design uh, and front end and and UX uh, work. So um, I was like, well, hey, the Gulp <laughs> website is really old and crusty. Do you want to do like an information audit and like figure out the things that we should have on the website, figure out like the the new design and things? And she really jumped in and and was produced something that I am blown away by. I'm really happy with with the results. Um, That's great, and it has a little bit. What I'm I think where I'm trying to go with this is that sometimes it's astounding in open source like how big of an impact something can have, how many users it can have, how important it is to people, and to have that be a hundred percent unrelated to the profitability of that project with most open source making hardly any money at all, you know, and the superstar, you know, the anywhere where that's not true feels like a, a big rarity you know the fact that view makes enough money to like you know it makes them kind of a superstar of the open source community because they make you know who know who i don't know i don't know i have any numbers but they make enough money that it's like not embarrassing you know uh and not that not that how much you are i have no idea what your numbers are but isn't that weird it's like gosh you could make a a freaking mobile game with a little race car that 
runs around the track and sell it for five bucks on some app stores and make 10 times more money than you could in open source, you know? Is that true? What does that is there, is there a way to is there a way to extract some money out of this for real? Not that you want to like quit your job or anything, but like Gulp is huge. Where's the money? Uh, yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of options, right? Um, and Gulp, uh, especially um, through my efforts before I joined Tidelift um, and ongoing, just to help, like help out the team, um, we've been really working towards different avenues, right? The one thing that that you could make a lot of money on that we haven't decided to do yet, like um, just as a team, we we don't necessarily agree with putting um, advertisements on our website or documentation. Um, so we've not gone that avenue, and I know that you can make a bunch of money there. Um, we've instead opted for um, with this new website launch, especially we've opted for uh, corporate sponsorships that get their logo placed in a rotating banner um, or individual contributions uh, that get you to show up randomly um, in the uh, individual backer section. So there's a little bit of money there, right? Like that, those are, that's trod territory for open, open source projects, right? Like throw us some bucks, throw us a few bucks, you know, but isn't there, I mean, like I said, I have no idea what your numbers are, but I've never heard a story that's like, this is paying the bills. Gonna get my it, Lambo with these five dollar donations, you know? Right. It it definitely does not. Uh, it definitely does not uh, replace a a job. Um, we 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 are part of Tidelift. Um, I I am not. <laughs> I am not the gulp person for Tidelift just because of U.S. of interest there. Yeah, U.S. employment law stuff. Um, the um, but we we have a one of our Jap uh, our Japanese maintainer. Uh, our core maintainer, um, he is actually the the lifter. Um, the kind of, what lift. does that mean? Like the benefactor of money? Um, it's the person that supply, like completes the work that Tidelift needs done. So Tidelift is a an, uh, managed open source subscription for large enterprise companies. So if you're a large enterprise company and you're using Gulp and you need um, ad- additional assurances and, and benefits oh, uh, on top of just okay. using the open source code, um, then you would uh, subscribe to Tidelift and um, some of your subscription money would go back to Gulp. Um, and then you're provided those guarantees and assurances um, from one of the Gulp core maintainers. What are those um, assurances? We're not going to break your stuff. We're, we have a SLA or something. Yeah, it's very similar to that. It's like um, it's, if there's a security vulnerability that affects us, that will get it complete, uh, that will get it fixed quickly. Um, that will just continue ongoing maintenance. Um, there's, uh, also assurances around licensing and how, like, we will, uh, provide those. I'm going to say the word again, assurances to, to subscribers uh, of Tidelift. No, that's cool. So if you're big enough, you know, you're a, you're a $10 million revenue of year product, right? So you're middle size kind of company. You're starting to be at that level where you're like, if we're going to pick some software, we're not just going to grab it off the shelf anymore. Like maybe some of it, but like the most important pieces, we want those assurances that things are going to be okay. And we have some money to throw at it. Yeah. Is that the kind of, and are, yeah, exactly. are, the, are the numbers public here? Like what is, what is a, a, a middle tier company like that pay for if they want these assurances for golf? Is right. it like so, 50 bucks or is it like 2000 bucks? 
I mean, I guess you don't have to say, but it's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so the Tidal subscription has pricing models on on their website, right? So, um, but it's not just that you're paying for just Gulp; it's that you get the whole catalog of open source software. Oh, so, interesting. So you are able to have these assurances for a lot of the software that you're using, and um, it starts. Uh, some of our initial plans start at like uh, fifteen hundred a month, right? With like a, a year term, so. Um, you, it would definitely be like you were saying a much more, uh, like 10 million or, or a, a large company mm-hmm. making a lot of money. It's not like the startups, right? But it's a company that needs these, um, guarantees. It needs this extra layer that it, it's risk management, right? Like you need, when you start using open source and you grow to a certain size, you need risk management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's pricey. The, the, the baby plan is $1,500 a month, but it's, that's nothing for a, for a big for a big company that what what you're buying is assurances um that's awesome and so i guess the name comes from rising tide lifts all boats yeah so that's why you yep. can't do a one off yeah okay dave well i just was saying it, it makes perfect sense to me I, I think any company these days you know we're starting more and more just to offload to whatever we found on npm oh man what you know <laughs> I'll just NPM install that and that'll work. I guess it works and hopefully it's around forever. You know, like fingers crossed. Like I think, yeah, companies need more risk management or just assurance than just like hope it still works. You know, that's, you can't build a business on that. So um, I think sensible companies would be like, yeah, we should probably support these people in a, whatever facilitate support and i know github has the like individual contributor thing you can do or whatever but this seems like cool because you kind of get that contract like hey i'm paying you but not just like because i'm your buddy i'm paying you because i will call you one day if it's harming my business you know i think that's smart too so it's a it offers a lot yeah, no, I, I I agree. I mean, this is this is why I joined the company, right? Like, I think that this is a a good business model uh, uh, to push forward. One eight hundred fix gulp. Just call them. You get that phone number. Goes right to blame. Yeah, hotline. Yeah. <laughs> Bat phone. All that's it's an upsell. Okay, so that's that's cool. Yeah, I feel like I was. I almost feel like there should be more like gulp sharing parties or something. Just like. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I read a gulp file, I'm like, I have like irresistible urge to share it with people. I'll be like, look, look at what I'm doing. Did I do it right? I, there was one time I made the most beautiful SVG processor <laughs> on the whole planet and I can't find it. I don't have any idea what client that was. Oh, for. Or whatever. No. <laughs> I, but it just sucked a folder of SVGs and used Cheerio to manipulate. Did it? Things, nice. Spit out the thing. Oh. Yeah. So I always kind of like avoiding Cheerio if I can, just because it, oh, it's a big, it's a, it's a cheat code. It's a big one. It's a yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, but the, the benefits are of is that if you have malformed SVG, it will tell you that, which other SVG things won't, you know. Hey, Shop Talk listeners. This show is brought to you in part by CodePen. That's me, your host, Chris, co founder of CodePen, also. Sometimes I like to sponsor our own show and tell you about CodePen. It's a freemium app, so you can use CodePen for free. But I hope to compel you with the features of CodePen Pro. 
One reason you might upgrade is just because you like this show. That's fine with me. I'll take your support that way. But ideally, there's some part of Pro that makes you want to upgrade. You know, one of the like little things you get with Pro is that you get unlimited embed themes. So you might like build something on CodePen in which to then use somewhere else, like use in a blog post or documentation or whatever. It's nice because you change your theme and then it changes on every single embed where you use that theme. Of course, that's very important to me, unlike CSS Tricks, for example, where I might want to change the look of the embed because we're redesigning the site or just want to freshen things up or something and have that theme change over the entire site. So, of course, I do that. If you need several, a bunch of themes, just go pro and you have unlimited of them, which is cool. Just one of a dozen or more features you get for upgrading to pro on CodePen. Here's a, here's one though that like so you do your SVG right Dave you know you got it going but then you're like you link up the sprite somewhere and you know I I do this for some advertising stuff too is that I, now I have the the final file or, or like I have a file that represents like some ads on the site or something just like an SVG sprite would be too and that is intended to be like Ajaxed in or something but the but I intentionally cache the crap out of it I'll tell browser cache at the browser level like you know you know, please cache this as heavily as you can. And if I want to cache bust it, then it's on me to like change the query string or something. So I'd have an SVG process that does this SVG processing and then goes into whatever other files, maybe some JavaScript files that where the Ajax call is performed or HTML files, if it comes from there and and manipulate those with a gulp task to break that cache kind of manually. Ooh, that's all. That's... See, I like that. On the Shop Talk Show <laughs> website, we use Gulp, and we have a SaaS process too, but I never got around to wiring up the, the cache busting, and our hosting is needs that, you know? So, like, if I change some CSS on the Shop Talk Show website, I have to go to the header file, find where it links up the SVG, and change the query string manually to a new number. Otherwise, after I push, you won't see the CSS changes because it's still cached in the browser, you know? <laughs> it's a gulp task away. Just got to write it. Got to write it, yeah. I was going to ask, Blaine, I feel like it was like, maybe it's gulp two to three or maybe it's like two to four or something. There was like a dependency thing. It might have been with gulp sass or like gulp chokidar or something. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but it was like it prevented an upgrade, right? It, and I think you were kind of in that situation where like the Gulp project was where it, it was like, hey, use the new version of Gulp, use the new version of Gulp, it's way better. But then you're kind of pinned down by like a some popular dependency. Is that like, maybe you remember that story a little bit better? Um, but how do you, I guess the question, ultimate question I want to ask, answer, or whatever, ask is, how how as a maintainer do you handle like somebody's dependency getting popular and hamstringing your project how does how do you work in those confines mm, that's interesting um so something that we have strived very heavily for i, I don't know how long this has lasted um <laughs> once you reach 7 years certain things in the far ago past get very fuzzy um, we don't break the plugin API. Um, so I, I know 
Chris was talking about how uh, the upgrade for the, the, the API breaking changes from three to four are difficult to, to get over. But the thing it, that we decided to do with that, uh, with our, our major breaking changes there were that we didn't break the plugin API so that it's only on, you're only waiting on yourself to do the upgrade, right? If you are using Gulp three and you're, and you don't have the time to upgrade to Gulp four, you're, uh, or you do have the time, you're not blocked by a plugin not upgrading, right? So the three, the three to four, we shouldn't have anybody, as long as the, the plugins were behaving correctly, we shouldn't have anybody that, uh, you were waiting on. There was a, there, I think there was a few plugins that actually were using, um, event stream, which we banned, like, even before Gulp three. Like, we said that don't, don't use event stream because it doesn't actually create real node streams. Um, and so we, we recommended everybody use, uh, the through two library for plugins. And so if any, if every plugin that you were using was following those guidelines and using through two, um, then upgrading from gulp three to four was, should have been, um, no problem. Well, I mean, obviously it'll be a problem because the API breaking changes, but um, it, you're not waiting on anyone. I didn't find three to four that bad. I'm sure lots of people, well, you know, so you have lots of evidence that people did, but it's just syntactical stuff, you know? I could see the kind of reasons behind it. It seemed fine. What killed me for a year, which is, this is like just very specific to me and my own lack of knowledge here. This is not symbolic of all, but there was some thing where like, the CLI was just like baked in the gulp now, or it wasn't a separate separate package, or maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe it's broken off now and it wasn't before or something. But the, also the version number of it like went down somehow instead of up. I don't know. It was kind of confusing. And and that it, uh, I had some old version installed and my computer would just not let go of it. And it just, it just wouldn't run. It would cause errors and and then it, it just turned out, it, you know, it was installed in some weird subfolder and I had to root it out and delete it. And after that, it was all good. So but please, if, if people are having right. trouble with that, I remember how to fix that. So hit me up. Yeah. I, and uh, one of our, our maintainers, I think, jumped in and helped you. Like, and this is why I, I, I don't, uh, this is why I wanted to build a team is because I would have never known those commands to run to like figure out where that file was existing on your computer and and how to how to remove it right like how it how did it get there how did it get root permissions like i don't know enough about uh the terminal to to even solve that problem for you um but i would say so yeah we did we did have a, a that was a big breaking change that we had we were kind of forced into doing because the command line like gulp like the gulp core library, the thing that you import, like require gulp or import gulp is only like 80 lines long. It's not a big library. And so the majority of installing gulp was dependencies. And then we used to ship the command line built into the main package, right? So you would install gulp globally and you would install gulp locally. Um, but this actually caused us a bunch of, of headaches. One, the version number, your, your global version number would always have to match like your, your local version number. Um, and when we started working on gulp four, we were like, Oh, well, you actually can't have a gulp command installed that runs three and runs four. Like if you're, if you install the three version, it will never run four. And if you install the four version, 
we could theor- theoretically include a ton of code so that it would run the old one. Um, but that would bloat the gulp package. So what we decided on as a team is splitting out the command line into its own library. So gulp CLI exists as a separate library now. And, um, that is versioned independently of gulp. So, uh, when you saw your number go down, you went from like gulp 3.9 or something to, uh, command line version 2.1. Right. Um, be- because we started the new command line at version zero, right? Because it was a brand new thing we were developing from scratch. Um, and we don't do a mo- we don't do mono repos like a lot of projects are doing these days. We actually have like sixty some repositories. Oh, oh, get on board! It's better oh, anyway. Go on. <laughs> I, I oh man, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Gulp packages aren't aren't created only to use in Gulp, right? So. Uh, mono repos, mostly namespace things in NPM and the gulp packages, like they exist outside of gulp so other people can use them. Microsoft actually built a tool on top of gulp core libraries because they didn't want the streaming implementation. Um, they just wanted the task system. So they took all of the, the libraries that I wrote for, um, for gulp's task system and they just built their own build tool. Um, and so if we were namespacing, it would just be a little weird, right? It would be like import at gulp.js slash undertaker, um, to, to build your, your task system. And it, that just feels a little weird to me. Um, I know it's fine. It's just a naming thing, but I wrote these libraries to be used by everybody. Like, um, I see we, we have a, we have a library called interpret that is like one of the, if, if you, if you've ever named your gulp file anything but gulpfile.js, if you've named it gulpfile.coffee, if you've named it gulpfile.babel.js, if you've done um, if you've done your webpack config in any language that wasn't just pure JS, like if you've done the same thing, your webpack.babel.js, um, then you are using interpret. It is the it is like a, a library to to register transpilers inside of Node. Um, and if we had things namespaced as at gulp.js, I just feel like they would likely be used less by people. Um, not only because it's a discoverability issue, right? Like trying to find the, the package in a scope on NPM. Um, but also just because like people don't want to like advertise for other, I don't know. It's, it's a weird open source thing. <laughs> like it, I get it. If they're built to be totally, totally independent, then just let them be totally, totally independent. And I think that's like a really good use case for not mono repoing in this case. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that seems fair. You know, if it was just like these are only meant for internal usage and you still split them off, ugh, that feels less nice, you know? Only for the ergonomics of like, oh God, now my, my, I'm just constantly changing direct directories and stuff to, to do my Git commits and all that. Like just is like a management headache and ergonomics headache. I think I'd agree. Yeah. It's a horse sized duck problem, right? Yeah. Definitely two animals are involved. (laughs) I had some questions, Blaine, like what's, what's the future of gulp here? Do you have any, like version four is out, new websites out. Like what, what is, 
the future of Gulp? Kind of where where do you think it's going? Right. I I have lots of ideas. Um, so we're gonna keep working on our documentation. Like I'm very happy with our setup now. Um, we can churn out new documentation. Like we we when we did our um, rewrite of the documentation for 4.0 and the new website, we didn't um, we didn't translate any of the plugin um, guidelines or how to write a plugin. We didn't translate any of the recipes. Um, so I want to get a lot of that stuff figured out. Um, and so um, one of our big expenses for the money that we do receive is to pay a documentarian um, and whoever else helps uh to write docs because it is like probably what, what I would think is like the least interesting thing that the team could do. Um, people don't want to do it, right? Like they, they will do anything, but they'll go fix issues. They will create new features, but writing documentation is really hard. So it's one of our, our big expenses. Um, well, and I guess at a certain point you're too deep, right? Like, you know too much about Gulp and how it works and how to write a Gulp file that you almost lose out. You miss out on that novice sort of mindset, the beginner mindset, you know, that, that might be required to make really good docs, you know, that's tough. That's right. And, uh, our, our documentarian actually has written about, uh, four lines of Gulp ever. So gets to tell me when things are way mm. too deep and when I, I have too much knowledge or experience. Um, and we can, um, bring it back to its, its base and, and really, uh, root it in, in the fundamental knowledge, not Blaine is super, <laughs> super deep in the weeds here. That's nice. I, uh, in our last show, the topic of a friction log came up, which is, was kind of a, you try to do something technical and just be mindful as you're doing it of anything that was, you know, unusual, caused you some friction and write it down. And maybe that works for docs as well. If somebody's reading some docs and like there's friction because they just kind of don't understand what the heck you're talking about. That's a, uh, that's a moment there to latch on to. The other, I would say the other immediate future thing, uh, Dave, is that um, something that came up very recently um, and it's, it's kind of frustrating to me is that, um, we, so Gulp 4 was started to be developed when, um, node 010 was still new. Um, and now nodes up to 14. Um, and so our, our support actually goes back to 010 because I didn't want to break people in the release. Um, but node 14 that came out the other day, it actually breaks the Gulp watcher. Um, so oh. what, we will very likely, I don't know how we're going to find the time to do this because it's a lot of hours of work, but we need to probably do a gulp, uh, four to gulp five breaking release that has, um, that just changes our node JS support matrix, um, so that we can upgrade some libraries to get the fixes, um, needed to support no- node 14. Oh, that's a flipping nightmare, man. I'm sorry. You know, like just. You have to lock to an old node version, which is probably like something that some people aren't stoked about. Like, oh, I can't use, we can't use Gulp 4. It's stuck in the past, you know? And I don't know. Like, it just seems like a, like a bummer. What did node do to you? Uh, they, they just changed some, it, it's been happening for a while, but they've actually just removed some of the features that we, we relied on in like the native code. Um, so I, I understand that they are trying to, to clean 
house, right? They're trying to remove this old crufty um, native, like I think it's probably C code um, or bindings for that. Um, and that's what our, our watcher library uses. And the watcher library has been upgraded, but they don't backport fixes. So we need to, um, we need to do an upgrade, which is a major breaking change. And then we're also going to have to drop support for node some, and to be honest, like these are old node versions, but we try to have the, the most comprehensive support we can. Um, so we're going to be looking into that in the immediate future. Well, good. Good luck. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's good to hear. No, I, I like, again, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Like we saw each other, I guess, at ViewConf here in Austin. That was fun. Um, but it's just good to know, like, Gulp is going. Gulp is, like, still active. Like, like I think I, it was always kind of in my head, like, I like Gulp. But I like what's going on with it, you know, and so I want to say thank you for coming on the show and kind of talking about it because it does sound like it's it's active, active and and still very useful. So I guess uh, we should wrap it up here. And so, Blaine, for those who are not following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Uh, I would say go check out the Gulp website, gulpjs.com. I'm really happy with the design. It's really cool. Um, I, I don't promote myself too much. Um, I'm Blaine Bublitz on Twitter. Um, but yeah, uh, hit up Gulp. Gulp, the Gulp, Gulp stuff is really cool. Um, we have all the, the sponsorship links. You can find the Tidelift, uh, enterprise option on the website as well. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, there is a donate button in the nav. I support open source, uh, getting money, getting paid. So everyone go there and check. Chuck a buck or two bucks, I guess, is the minimum. (laughs) Chuck two (laughs) bucks at it. Um, All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher of choice or via your gulp file, because you could probably do that. Um, (laughs) Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. Consume that in your gulp file. Uh, If you hate your job, have your shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. And Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Mm -hmm. Shoptalkshow.com.